0: Trying to disguise yourself as a worker bee—that's you trying to blend in with hive. But you're not a worker bee. You're a renegade killer bee, killer bee, killer bee. bee. Viceberg Slim. I will chop your heads off. Welcome to In Broad Daylight, a solo podcast with your host, Adam Todd Brown. hey everybody welcome to in broad daylight i'm your host adam todd brown this is my solo podcast so there's no one else with us right now it's just me it's just you it's just us talking about the 2020 election because there's no way you're already tired of hearing about the 2020 election it's all anyone can talk about i wonder why but before we get into that before we get into the specifics. It's short for specifics. Saves me a lot of time when I talk. What's going on on Unpops this week? You might notice this show is on a different day. It's on Tuesday. Why is that? It's simple, really. I, uh, this is probably the most timely show on the network in terms of the, the things we talk about. We, meaning me, are from the news of the past few days or the past week and to put this up on monday means i have to record it over the weekend and gross i already have unpopular opinion recorded so i could just put that up on monday and then work on this all day monday record it monday night like i'm doing now then i get to watch bernie sanders cnn town hall not that that's going to come up much during this episode but if it had if something exciting happened i would be right here ready to report on it after having relaxed all day and by relaxed i mean reading up on things pertaining to continuity of government and other topics but again we'll get to that what else is happening on on pops this week there's a new heart shaped pod it is the penultimate episode don't google it that means next to last don't worry we're heading for home with that podcast And boy, you are not gonna believe how it ends. I read ahead. Holy shit, what an ending. And after we're done with that, we are unfortunately launching into Pod the Life, a podcast about the band Corn, which it's gonna be a slog, but we're gonna get through it. I mean we did a a Limp Biscuit podcast, and no one on that podcast liked Limp Biscuit, but at least Limp Biscuit's music isn't depressing, you know? It's fun time drinking jizz till we pass out on the floor kind of music just joking he actually says gin in that song but it sounds like jizz corn on the other hand oh man just sadness and misery and i don't know we're gonna go for it we'll see how it goes pod the life coming soon featuring me travis clark andy sell talking about the corn wish us the best there's a new pretty scary this week We're talking about Emanuela Orlandi, which we've also talked about on What in the World before. Now you get to hear Caitlin's take on it. As for What in the World, we're talking about soccer in Venezuela. Literally the only thing thriving in Venezuela right now is their under-20 men's national team. So we're going to bring you some good news from Venezuela. Who's saying that these days? So stay tuned for all that, motherfuckers so now like i said let's talk about the 2020 election i know i know everyone's talking about the 2020 election and it's way more than a year away but still there's news happening pertaining to it some of the news isn't making the headlines and that's what we're here to talk about today like so many other calamities brewing in the united states at present, what we're talking about today all starts with one tweet from Donald Trump's bitch ass. And here is the text of that tweet. Well, just heard that my poll numbers with Hispanics has gone up 19% to 50%. That is because they know the border issue better than anyone and they want security, which can only be gotten with a wall. That was Trump on January 20th on Twitter, which is a while ago. At this point, Valentine's Day has already passed. So this is a thing that came up not too long ago. If you missed it, you can be forgiven, because this was one of 18 tweets Donald Trump sent on January 20th. Yes, I counted them all. Among those tweets, a tweet-quoted reply of thanks to David Wool and an endorsement for Kurt Schilling for the MLB Hall of Fame. I don't completely disagree with the second one. Even though Kurt Schilling is kind of a monster. Also, that 18, that's not including retweets. He had 23 retweets on January 20th also. Remember having that much time to tweet? Like, I certainly do not. Because Twitter didn't exist back when I still had that much free time on my hands. I think I would have been 11, maybe. But that's all beside the point. What matters is what he's saying in that tweet. And is it true that against all odds trump is gaining ground with the hispanic vote it's pretty concerning if it is true because 2020 will be the first election where hispanics will make up the largest racial or ethnic minority in the electorate according to the pew research center take it up with them if you got beef with what they said they will constitute at least 11 percent of the national vote in 2020 so is it true that he is gaining ground with this demographic it's not entirely true but it's also not entirely untrue either he's referencing a poll by the marist institute for public opinion conducted on behalf of npr and they themselves came out and cautioned that the results of this poll are there was a high margin of error for that particular subset and there was a possibility that they maybe oversampled republicans a little bit so democrats were like okay cool fake news nothing to worry about but not really because that's not what a high margin of error and possible oversampling really means there's some gains there it's just a matter of if it's actually a 19 percent gain which it's probably not but any gain is pretty alarming at this point. Trump won 28% of the Hispanic vote in 2016, which was about 10% higher than anyone actually expected him to win. I mean, 28%, that's that's pretty high. Like for someone who campaigned on the idea that Mexicans and Central Americans are invading this country and bringing rapes and murders and drugs and crime and disease with them and kind of made that one of the key platform points of his campaign you would expect he would have done a little not as well with the hispanic vote that's probably the best way to put that a little not as well write that down start working it into your conversations but make sure you credit on pops when you do but that 28 percent it was no better or worse than mitt romney did with that same demographic in 2012 so what's the margin of error on that marist poll from what i've gathered reading their explanation of it maybe six seven points so let's say trump's gain was only 12 percent among hispanic voters according to politico anyway that extra 12 percent would pretty much be enough to ensure that trump has florida locked up and locking up florida doesn't guarantee the election but it's going to be really hard to get trump out of office if he wins florida again and you would expect that with florida having a very robust immigrant community that that vote is just in the bag for democrats because trump is anti-immigration and every person who moved here from another country obviously hates trump for his stance on illegal immigration but you would be wrong there is no group out there that is all going to vote one way all the time as much as us libs want that to be the case it will never be the case i think there's a tendency again with us us libs to just kind of assume all people of color are democrats who are going to give democrats their vote in 2020 just on the strength of democrats not being trump or you know assuming every trump supporter is a racist white male no sometimes it's a racist hispanic woman you just never know so you can't really just paint any one demographic in one way and assume that they're all going to vote the way your vision of the world has them voting it's unrealistic and it wasn't true in 2016 and it's looking like it's it's going to be even less true in 2020 because Even if the gain suggested in this poll isn't as high as the poll is suggesting, there are lots of other polls out there right now that do show Trump is gaining ground with Hispanic voters. And I know that's that's a hard thing to wrap your head around, but wrap your head around it because it's happening. Polls don't lie, except when polls lie. Sometimes polls lie. Remember when we all thought Bush was going to lose in 2004? (laughs) Wishful thinking. And before anyone on the right... Goes patting themselves on the back because I said people on the left tend to paint groups as a monolith. Don't forget, you all believe the left congregates every morning in hipster coffee shops to talk about flinging open the southern border and figuring out what white genocide organization we're going to donate to after we cash the checks George Soros gave us for wearing vagina hats on our heads at the Women's March. So we're all in this boat together. We we know what you think of us, and I think the main difference is the Democrats doing that hurt the world way more because it helped Trump get elected in some ways, in a lot of ways. Thanks for ignoring those flyover states, Hillary. And I bring up Hillary not so much to to to, to give her a jab like I just did. I bet she's I bet she felt that. That's gonna. That's going to show up in her emails. No, I bring it up because Hillary Clinton is an important reminder that everything about Trump gaining ground with any group or losing ground with his base, as people have been saying, and you know what we mean when we say his base, but any of that can change at any time. Popular opinion can go for or against a person on the drop of a dime. That's the world we live in, and none of that matters because of the Electoral College. Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. We should keep that in mind, and it didn't matter because of the Electoral College, and the Electoral College is sort of what we're talking about today when we're talking about Florida and Trump gaining ground with Hispanic voters, and even better, we get to talk about my favorite topic of the past two years— Venezuela, but if you want to read a really interesting article about trump making inroads with hispanic voters and what it could mean not only for the 2020 election but also for the prospect of democrats taking back the senate because there are implications there also check out trump's secret to victory in 2020 hispanic voters on politico.com by david bernstein but let's keep talking about florida for now the seat of the empire and how goddamn fitting is that if trump wins florida again taking the presidency away becomes a whole lot harder for democrats as mentioned earlier you don't even need me to mention it you know that you've watched an election or two in your day or maybe you haven't maybe this is the first election you're gonna watch i'm very sorry we tried to make a better world for you and we failed (laughs) Just joking. Nobody tried for shit. Anyway, in 2016, Trump won Florida by just over 112 thousand votes, which it's a slim margin, but it's a margin nonetheless. And he did that without an impending war to package with the deal. He's got that now because he's got Venezuela. Don't doubt for a second that we will be at war there in some way soon if we don't literally put boots on the ground we'll definitely be supporting what happens there next in some way that's what the humanitarian aid ordeal was about we knew maduro wasn't going to go for that and we needed him to respond with force of some sort to justify escalating things and if you don't know what i mean by maduro wasn't going to go for that there was a caravan of Supplies that we were trying to take across the Colombian border into Venezuela. Maduro said, We don't need your supplies, and sent the military to push that caravan back. They successfully pushed that caravan back, but they had to use the military and the police to do it. And now, on the world stage, Maduro looks like a dictator who is denying his people of aid. And here's the thing he is, to some extent, Even if he has been kind of pushed into that position by what we've been doing in the country for the past 10 years or so. But still, there aren't a lot of good options in Venezuela right now. Maduro staying isn't a great option. Us deciding who leads the country next, also not a great option. But I'm sure we'll be very fair with that election that we hold after Guaido takes power for the interim. Trust us. We're America. So now we tried to get aid across the Colombian border and it didn't work. So we get to whip out the thoughts and prayers card and pretend we have to send in the military because we care about the people. This is a gold mine for Republicans. Literally, if they're able to replace Maduro, there is a lot of fucking gold in Venezuela, along with oil and diamonds and a lot of other things that countries start wars over that's what makes this so different from all the other conflicts we've initiated in south america and central america in the past there are so many resources on the line with the big three us china and russia and i know us is pronounced the u.s i like to shorten it saves me time when i cast which is short for podcast saying that saves me time when i talk but China and Russia over the past several years have been striking really big deals with Venezuela, basically to keep Venezuela afloat. And in return, Russia and China get access to all of these natural resources that Venezuela has access to. Now maduro has come out and said that russia is also going to help modernize their military he's actually said that venezuela is such a military fortress at this point that if we try to invade we're going to fail and that's all concerning because protecting your interests and investments is is kind of the only thing that wars are actually fought over. We don't do shit like this for humanitarian reasons. It's never humanitarian reasons. There's always some sort of economic interest at play. And in this case, we all have economic interests at play. I don't even I I didn't even put it in the notes because uh, crazily enough, this is all sort of beside the point. The fact that World War 3 could kickoff in the next month or so in venezuela all completely beside the point of what we're talking about today but maybe i'll write a column about it or something there's a lot of ground to cover in venezuela the point is whatever happens in venezuela everyone has some sort of vested interest in it remember colombia just became the first latin american country to join nato and if russia really is propping up the venezuelan military well nato's role in the world or at least in europe where it's mostly operated up to this point is to protect its members from russian aggression i don't know if that's the stated reason i don't know if they wrote it down that way but we all know and now there is a conveniently enough the first south american country has joined NATO. Just in time for that South American country to be embroiled with this border dispute with Venezuela. So, once NATO gets involved, that's a lot of member countries in Europe that are all sending resources to fight a war in Venezuela. Mike Pompeo has already gone on television, on the record, in an official way to say that this is a conflict every country in the world needs to choose sides on that's a world war that's that's how that's what world war means if this turns into a war every country in the world needs to pick a side and we're all going to fucking fight it out because there's so much to take from venezuela and now that we've had this conflict at the border the talk is moving to well whether should we just invade should we use military force to take down maduro but again all beside the point impending global conflict completely beside the point we're just talking about the 2020 election and the point i'm getting at is that doing whatever it takes to topple maduro is an idea that has a lot of popular support and that is especially true among cuban and venezuelan immigrant communities in florida venezuelan community not it's uh, i think a little over 100,000 people but Cuban population in Florida, I think 1.2 million. Obviously, some of those people are going to be kids and babies who definitely cannot vote. But still, there is a big voting block that needs to be tended to like any other voting block in this country if you're hoping to win an election. But fortunately for us, again, every person who moved here from another country hates Trump. So nothing to worry about, right? What a conflict that must be for them wanting Maduro toppled but also having to have trump be the guy to do it except no not really as pointed out in the washington post article debate on venezuela shakes up florida politics by sean sullivan those communities are traditionally pro-republican here's a quote it's a huge moment for the republican party it will be like donald trump can be to venezuelan american voters what ronald reagan was to cuban american voters that's Florida lobbyist and GOP donor Brian Ballard. And yep, look it up. Cuban voters were an integral part of both elections that Reagan won. And that quote should tell you that there is an ulterior motive behind what we're doing in Venezuela that goes beyond humanitarian relief. But y- you know that. You listen to this podcast, you know that. You know that's not what we're getting. You know this you know this come on i don't know why i said it that way it's late it's not late i mean it's late for me to be recording a solo podcast seven o'clock at night antsy because i might watch the last episode of shameless again was really good anxious to get to that i'm all over the place but anyway we are not concerned about the plight of the people of venezuela whenever trump is worried about human rights we're up to something But nevertheless, especially in Florida, where no matter what side of the aisle your politics fall on, you have constituents who probably care a lot about this issue. And the idea of getting Maduro out of office is a thing Republicans and Democrats, at least in Florida, are uniting around. Case in point, Bernie Sanders was recently asked if he sees Juan Guaido as the legitimate president of Venezuela. And he said he does not. And in response to that, we get this tweet. I'll make it clear. Senator Sanders does not reflect the majority of the Democratic Party and our support for Venezuela's interim president, Juan Guaido, and the Venezuelan people. Maduro is a dictator and must go. That is Donna Shalala, Democrat, Florida. So... That we shouldn't use military force in Venezuela is not a Democrat talking point. It is a Bernie Sanders talking point, and presumably that side, this is probably a talking point that we should not be using military intervention. My side, I would be of the side that says we should not use military intervention in Venezuela. I would... Prefer that we don't do anything in Venezuela, not to be isolationist about it, but the best thing we could do for that country is to leave them the fuck alone. That would probably help, but then that also, then we run the risk of a socialist regime succeeding somewhere in the Western Hemisphere, and then people in the United States might start getting funny ideas, and then we got to start assassinating people. So either way, Venezuela was doomed. And that's the added benefit for Republicans here, is that demonizing socialism and leftist politics is an extremely effective campaign strategy in Florida. And that's a big part of what our overall strategy in Venezuela is about. Even before we found out they had the biggest oil reserves in the world, or one of the biggest, depending on who you ask. We were mad that they nationalized the oil that we knew they had and used that money to feed poor people. They're poor people. Why are they eating? What the fuck is wrong with you, Venezuela? That's not what you do with your money. You give that to your investors. And it shouldn't surprise you too much to learn that people who fled the Castro regime and settled in Florida are more than a little skeptical about the word socialism and leftist politics in general also, you don't flee your country and resettle somewhere else because things are going great. I know in some cases people are just like, I'm a wandering soul. I'm going to go write a book in Costa Rica for a year. I get that. But when you have a mass exodus of people from one country to another country, it's usually not a good thing. And that's no different with people who fled cuba under the castro regime and that's a big population in florida now and the regime they were fleeing never really left fidel castro himself isn't in power anymore obviously but that regime is still for the most part in power and it's also the regime that is the most supportive of maduro in venezuela so getting maduro out of office is A cause that resonates with Cuban voters in Florida. And with Trump already taking 28% of the Hispanic vote in 2016 without having the war in Venezuela to piggyback onto, that makes the likelihood that he wins Florida pretty fucking high. If we are either at war with Venezuela by the time the 2020 election rolls around or if we have already invaded venezuela and somehow gotten maduro out of office without russia dropping tactical nukes on all of our major cities in the process trump's gonna win florida again any number of things could happen between now and then maybe he won't even be in office by that point we'll get to that too but if things remain as they are and we go to war with Venezuela and it works or even appears to work, Trump's going to win Florida. And that makes getting him out of office in the conventional way a lot more difficult. Not to bum anyone out, but I'm I'm just remember this started from a tweet about Trump gaining ground with Hispanic voters and that seems like an unlikely thing because we live in we live in our liberal bubble where everyone hates Trump because he's a racist. Which yes, and he is. But also, unfortunate, not everyone sees him that way. And things like the crisis in Venezuela explain that. It's not the only reason, but it's a reason, and that's why we're talking about it. I'm not trying to make you sad, cupcake. You know I wouldn't do that to you. I want you to be happy, baby. And how happy will you be? When you knew this war with Venezuela was coming months in advance before it even started, amaze your friends, whip it out like a bar trick, but record yourself saying it. So in six months, you can go, see, see? It's actually not as satisfying as you would think. And hey, bright side, losing Florida is not a guarantee that Democrats would lose. The election overall. They could still win the electoral college. That's how Trump won. He flipped a few states we expected to go for Democrats. It could happen in 2020. So I don't know. I would love to say don't be too alarmed, but be very alarmed. This is the biggest crisis this country has ever fucking faced. But also, he could lose. You never know. The electoral college could swing that way. And then here's a question what happens then? Like, think about where we are as a country right now compared to where we were when the 2016 election cycle started so many things that were supposed to not be possible have happened trump getting the nomination trump winning the election muslim bans asylum seekers in detention camps john legend joining the voice on and on and on and on and now on top of all of that we are on the verge of war with venezuela 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 who saw that coming? I did two years ago. Check out the What in the World podcast for more details. But I don't blame anyone for not seeing something like that coming. Venezuela wasn't even on anyone's radar two years ago. I, I, I fell down the rabbit hole because of something that was said at the end of a New York Times article. It was one sentence about how Trump was concerned about human rights in Venezuela. And I went, oh, shit. He's never concerned about human rights. What are we up to? And now here we are. So all of these things that never seemed possible. It started with Trump just getting the nomination. Not possible. And every single thing has happened. And now the next crazy idea that is starting to go mainstream. What if Trump loses in 2020 but refuses to leave office? I know. I know. I know. Crazy. Crazy. All of this was crazy at one point. And then Trump throws something out there and we laugh about it. We start at first we laugh about it and go, that wouldn't be possible. And then people start looking it up and start talking about it. And then it's out there as it becomes less of a wacky conspiracy theory and more a talking point. Just another thing we talk about in the usual discourse about politics. Like, think about the debate over the wall. That has gone from, we're never going to build a wall to, all right, how much money are we going to give Trump to build this wall? So don't discount anything. And that includes the idea that Trump could lose in 2020 and just not just just not leave office. And Trump started this discussion himself. Remember a while back when Xi Jinping decided he is China's president for life and Trump was like, "Oh shit. Maybe we'll have a president for life someday." And we were like, <laughs> "Whatever, crazy man. Checks and balances. Checks and balances don't apply in situations like that. We're not talking about Trump saying, "Oh, I wonder if there's some loophole in the constitution that I could exploit to stay in power forever." No, that would be what Trump's suggesting would be him going, "Fuck the constitution. I'm president." forever. So, and I'd also remind you that checks and balances haven't stopped much so far. And if you think they're going to end this national emergency, keep fucking dreaming. But yeah, the the idea of Trump not leaving office is already starting to show up as a thing that people who are paid money to think about this stuff are floating as a possibility. Two articles just last week about this same damn thing. The first one was on Salon.com on February 23rd. It's called Will Donald Trump Follow Maduro's Path by Alexi Bayer. And as the title implies, it draws a whole bunch of parallels between Trump and Maduro. And while we're mad at Maduro for usurping power and stacking the courts in his favor, Trump's kind of doing the exact same thing here. That's what the National Emergency Declaration is about, but not just that. Also all of the criticism of intelligence agencies in the FBI, government scientists, all the talk about fake news, that's what all of that is. That's Trump trying to insert himself into the conversation as the ultimate authority. Yes, my intelligence community has said one thing, maybe they need to go back to school. That that was that was a thing he said about fucking intelligence agents, the dudes who stop terrorism the people who are tasked with preventing terrorism and things of the like, they need to go back to school because Donald Trump is our president now and he is the ultimate authority. That all seems like as it's happening, it feels kind of cartoonish almost and funny and it's so audacious and it's like, how can he do this? He just does it. And where do, where is that supposed to stop? Like where... Are we expecting Trump to draw the line when it comes to violating the law and the rules of the presidency? Is that going to end with him losing an election in 2020? Or would that just result in him going, oh, well, the election was rigged. There was a foreign government that colluded on behalf of the Democrats to make sure they win. So we're just going to ignore those results and then while we figure this out I'll stay president and then once we can ensure a fair election we'll just give it another shot surely Americans will be fine with that and we won't be fine with it but what are you going to do what are you going to do are you going to take to the streets and violently remove Trump from office because at that point yes there's a congress but he could just go oh well yeah those are all the democrats they're the they're the bad guys so whatever they say doesn't matter We could take it to the Supreme Court. How confident are you? The Supreme Court's not going to side with him. We better hope the Supreme Court doesn't side with him. And even if they don't, then what? What's to stop Trump from saying, oh, well, the Supreme Court's just colluding with Democrats. I guess the military's going to have to take me out if you want me to leave. Then do we trust the military to side with the Supreme Court and not Trump? Like, these are all questions we should at least sort of start thinking about. Because everything that has seemed so insane up to this point, a lot of it's happened. It's not insane anymore. It's just the world we live in. And what both of these articles that came out last week, they they both argue pretty much the same point, which is what I just said, that we've never been closer to a point in the United States where we could legitimately have a president refuse to leave office peacefully. And again, if you think Trump's not capable of that, what do you assume his his line is going to be? Like what is going to be the the point he'll go to before he goes, "Oh no, this is a violation of the Constitution. I can't possibly just hang around in office." We're talking about someone who doesn't like to lose. He won. He won the election. So anyone still comforting themselves with, "Oh, Trump doesn't really want to be president." Yeah, he does especially now that everyone's saying he doesn't want to be president and that he's just going to leave office. You can bet your ass. He still wants to be president and he'll still want to be president if he loses in 2020. And I keep mentioning that there's two articles. The other article is on CNN.com by Joshua A. Geltzer. It's called what if Trump refuses to accept defeat in 2020. And I know you're thinking, Oh, so some fucking CNN staff writer, put up a blog post about what if trump refuses to leave no joshua gelzer is the executive director and visiting professor of law at georgetown law center's institute for constitutional advocacy and protection so if that guy is worried that trump might make an end run around the constitution to just stay in office forever if he's worried about it it's not crazy for you to worry about it It's not a conspiracy theory. It's a legitimate concern that anyone watching what's happening in this country should have right now. This isn't fucking Steve Bannon writing this editorial. This is someone who protects the Constitution for a goddamn living. This guy would have shot Nicolas Cage on sight if he existed in the National Treasure universe. So if he's worrying about this, you should probably worry about it too. That's not crazy it's not a conspiracy theory there has been a pattern of blatantly ignoring the rule of law by this president and i think it's completely valid to wonder at exactly what point does that stop or does it stop and if it doesn't stop what do we do to make it stop it's worth thinking about if nothing else anyway that is uh that's the episode felt like i pulled an old switcheroo there and at one point implied that the end of this was going to be a little more upbeat and it was not i can tell i can feel the energy in the room and no one has even listened to this yet except me and i feel like i feel like i i brought some people down today if i didn't i'll be very surprised but this is stuff we have to talk about it's a whole new world right now we have to start planning for the future And some of that future planning, unfortunately, involves what do we do if the president won't leave office after he loses an election? Other countries have been through it. We'll be fine. It's usually fine. Anyway, that's this week's episode. If you missed the Unpop stand-up show last month at the Hollywood Hotel, and by last month, I mean last weekend, it's still February, it was a damn fun show. Come to the next one, March 30th hollywood hotel 9 p.m and uh subscribe on patreon to hear uh ad free episodes of this podcast get bonus episodes of a bunch of podcasts that i host and co-host and that's it all right let's get the fuck out of here adam say goodbye goodbye everybody we love you